Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Good morning, guys. Journey groups are a huge part of ministry at River of Life and a lot of what we, how we do adult discipleship. And uh, so as we go into the fall, this is a great time for you to consider joining a journey group. We have some new ones starting up as well as uh, the majority of our groups that have taken the summer off are getting off uh, and out of the blocks again for the school year. And so we'd hope you consider that. Um, it's a huge part of what we'd love for you to be a part of at River of Life. If you're an adult, join a journey group. Out in the lobby, straight out, I can see the table from here, is a journey group table. Put your name on that, and uh, we'll get you connected this week with, with uh, a journey group and help you start that process of finding the right one for you as you grow in Christ. Well, let me rewind, if I can, just a second to our worship time. And I, I want to tell you a way that this morning's worship has really ministered uh, to me. And, you know, when we sing together there is a part of that that is it's the exaltation of god and it's the encouragement of god's people together as we're seeking god in the process of that we sang a lot this morning about about faith and fear not not succumbing to fear and and i know when we walk by faith there are many times when fear is right next to us isn't it it seems like that's so close to us when we're walking in faith and yet on a morning like this, when we sang that together, there were several times that I paused and I listened. And in essence, you were singing over me as you proclaimed the same thing, as we proclaimed the truth about God. And I hope that you too are encouraged by that. When we come together and we sing those truths together and say, I'm, God is bigger, God is greater, that we, pro, we stand in, in who he is. Those are the, the kinds of proclamations that we make together, and it encourages us in the Lord. So, remember that your neighbor needs also to hear you singing the same truths. Sometimes that's the ministry to them, as you're worshiping God and uh, proclaiming his greatness. Well, many of you were here last night. Were you? Yeah. Pig roast last night. We had a great time at the pig roast and uh, just a, a wonderful evening of fellowship. Uh, special events team, thank you for putting that on. Uh, we, we just benefited so much from it. Yeah, give them a round of applause. We have a big group of people that serves our church body by doing those kinds of events and pulling us together and slowing us down to have a meal together. And, and the Lord just blessed that time. I was so thankful for it. Uh, we had fun. Um, some of you got to take part in the slip and slide. And so you, were, you saw this. And Keith, I don't think this thing's moving for me. There it is. There's the little kiddos going down it. And then some... Some oversized loads came in after this kid came down. Look out. In the middle is me, Matt on the left, and Wes Anderson on the right. And uh, so some of us had fun. And we made a pact. Even when we are retired, as long as we can do it and not break bones, we're going down. All right? As long as Keddy will put that up, we'll do it. So... For years to come, we'll be, we'll be sliding down that thing. And, and we had Cam out there. Look at Cam. Uh, he was the guy who made that video, uh, the pig video that we showed. Slightly inappropriate pig video. That was Cam. And uh, so there he is, happy that he was not on, on the grill last night. But last night, it was a blast. It was so good. I had fun talking to so many of you. 
somebody told me afterwards that it was kind of like going to a church golden corral. Yeah, you know who said that. And it was, but the variety of different foods that we had on the table, and uh, we had all kinds of choices to make. Don't you love going to potlucks partly because of that? You just get to choose. And as I was going down the table, I'm trying to manage my plate well and look at what I can fit and what I want. And I'm looking ahead, deciding, because we like choices. We all love choices. People love to have varieties. And maybe that's why in America, as Americans, we just thrive off of that. And so we have Walmarts and Home Depots and, and Hobby Lobby where we don't just have one product we can choose from. We want 20. Give me the choices. Give me all the brands. Let me decide through all of that. But it's not like that everywhere in the world, is it? You know, when, a, when an immigrant comes to the United States and walks into Walmart for the first time and they begin to look around at all the choices that lay out in front of them, it's completely overwhelming for many immigrants. And a good organization, when they're helping immigrants come into the U.S., will send somebody along with them when they're going to shop for the first time. Rather than being completely overwhelmed and, and blown away by a place like that, they send somebody in to help uh, and, and bring it down to scale and bring it down to size. But we love our choices. In the text that we're going to look at today, we find that God lays out for us just two options, two choices that sit in front of us. So we're going to look at that text today, Matthew chapter 7, in this most important decision that we could ever make. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 7, of what direction our life is headed. The text demands that we make a choice. So if you turn there with me, you'll find in in verse 13 what we're going to be looking at today. And it starts like this. These are Jesus' words towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's bringing everything to a point at at this point in his message. And he says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate that is narrow, though... The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus talks about life in a picture that's very easy for us to imagine. Two different paths. He makes it so plain and so simple. And what he's bringing us towards is this decision of which path we're going to be on, the most important decision of our life. And he wants us to wrestle with this question of, will you or won't you give your life to Jesus? I've dabbled in this text a number of times before and passages much like this. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you recognize the numerous times that God lays out in Scripture a description between and comparison and contrast between two different types of people, two different paths of life. It's an easy way to communicate, an easy way for us to understand. And many times those passages are pointing us towards issues of salvation and and driving us in that direction. And certainly that's in this text. And many times there's also more for us to learn in that, in the understanding of discipleship and what it means to walk with God. And that's in this text today. And so it's a very simple text, but I don't want you to dismiss it because of its simplicity. Because there's so much packed into this that's applicable to us today when it comes to the issue of discipleship and life in Christ. Jesus lays out this image, this image between two roads and this picture for us and what it looks like, the obedient life in Christ. You see, right here, we're beginning into that. He's, he's already laid out some of this in, throughout the uh, Sermon on the Mount. 
And here he invites us to join him on a particular path, the narrow road. He puts this image of two paths where it gives us a choice. And the wide path is, is a wide, multi-lane highway. The other path, the narrow path, is like a two-track trail going up into the woods. They're very different from each other. And the thing that it's coming, it's coming down to is the path that you choose matters primarily because of where those paths go. You see, there are only two paths. Jesus lays out this fact that there are simply only two paths. And those paths don't run parallel to each other as if they end up in the same place. Those paths end up in very different locations. Because the direction you go will determine everything about where you end up, the destination. You see, if I pull out of here after church onto 24 and a half road and I come to the roundabout, I'm going to come to a place where there are two different directions I could head. If I go on G road, I'm going to go east or west. If I go, stay on 24 and a half, I'm going to either go, be going north or south. The direction I head is going to determine where I end up. One of the things that's very distinct about the narrow road is where it leads. It leads to life. The Greek word used here is zoe, a word that means abundant life. And abundant life captures so much within this word that there's so much packed into it. It's the abundant life here and now, meaning a purpose, a meaning in life, a direction following after Jesus, as well as eternal life is captured in that idea. The narrow road leads to Zoe life, eternal life, the abundant life now. Doesn't it seem in our world when we look around that so many are searching for life? Give me something now. And so we get on this quest and we're looking for all kinds of different things. What job, what purchase, what relationship, what fun could I have that will bring me life? If you don't believe me, sit down and watch a football game and pay attention to the commercials this afternoon. Marketing thrives on this. Even cell phone companies promise they'll bring life, right? We connect America. And through that connection, it's going to bring you life. It's going to offer you everything that you need. But here's the thing is on that path is there's a promise that can never be fully met in those things. And Jesus on the narrow road invites us to join him and find life. And the text is clear. Very few find it. The wide road is different though. There are many on that road. Those people, all, the, all people on that wide road, they're seeking life. But it leads to a different destination. Something different than life. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us in this simple word picture, that it leads to destruction. It's not the path of Jesus. It leads to a, a lack of finding real life and, and, and purpose and meaning and salvation. It leads to an eternal separation from God in a real location called hell. That's the destruction that's being talked about here. It's not popular thinking today two different destinations and that there are only two roads. And I'll be honest, I know that it might confront some of our worldviews and boggle our minds to think God is really telling us this, that there are simply just two roads, two paths. Well, today you might even realize that you 
find yourself on the wrong path. But the good news is that that can be remedied today through faith in Christ. Well, the narrow road comes with some challenges. And I'm so appreciative of our Savior that he doesn't try to sugarcoat it as if he tells us about what salvation is like, if, that he, he gives himself to us and then does a bait and switch and changes it on us after we're in. Notice that he's very upfront about this narrow road and one of the challenges on it. One of those things is that he says that the gate is narrow. I'll talk about that in just a moment. He tells us this too, that the road is hard. Have you noticed that, follower of Jesus? The road is hard. It simply is that. And that there are fewer on that road than on the wide road. So do you ever wake up some days and go, it seems like I'm the only one. You look around at life and you go, it seems like everybody else seems to be having fun and having a great time. They must be finding life in that. And you start to get discouraged or, or begin to walk in fear because you're saying, I'm the only one. I'm the only one, it seems, that has, has brought my money in line with what God's principles are. And therefore, I don't have some of these things because I've invested in kingdom, kingdom investments. And so out of that, you start to feel like, where is everybody else? Maybe you walk the halls of your school or at your job and you feel like you're the only one who doesn't lie and cheat to get ahead. Maybe you're in a place where you look around and and you just feel discouraged because you're the only person who hasn't seen that movie or, or doesn't listen to that song all the time because you've made some choices about what you're putting into your mind. You're seeking Jesus and you decided to put away unwholesome things. And instead you feel like, man, I just am alone in this. Where is everybody? Jesus is saying to us, don't be surprised by that fact. Sometimes even within the church, the way of following Jesus is a road with fewer people on it. And you'll notice from scripture, God's people have always been a remnant, a small minority in this world. But the text also makes it clear that even though there are fewer people, you are not alone because there are people on that path. And that's where the church comes in. And that's where journey groups come in in life. And that's where if you're a teenager, youth group comes in. And if you're a young adult, where zeal comes in. Because the, God intended his church to work together, that we are sojourners together on this narrow path, walking that discipleship path together, seeking Jesus, following Jesus. So we walk that path together. A couple of years ago, I was with a friend of mine, and we were hiking a 14er here in Colorado. And as we were going along, we were kind of discouraged, and it was hard, and it seemed like no one was on the trail. And we met up with a guy who was hiking the trail all by himself, and we started talking to him. This isn't a guy that we probably would have just sprung up a conversation with if we were in town, but we were on this trail mutually walking this path together with a common goal of hiking this trail He had been on this trail many times before. He knew how to hike it. And so he gave us some advice. He gave us some encouragement. He stopped for a rest and we went on. But we bonded because we were on the trail together. The church and where journey groups come together, where even this kind of a gathering coming together is like that. We're sojourners together. We mutually encourage one another as we come together, as we press forward in order to walk that path that is hard and there are fewer on. But you'll notice something else, a difference between these two paths, these two roads. 
And it has to do with the beginning of those roads, the gates. The gates resemble the roads. The wide road has a wide gate. The narrow road has a narrow gate. I have a friend who is a cattle farmer. And one fall, he invited me to come out when he was getting ready to move cattle from their summer pasture up to uh, winter pasture up near his house. And so he invited me to come out and he had already gathered most of the cattle into a large corral through a big gate. He brought them in and they were in that pen sitting there waiting for us to do the next step, which was this to separate, to bring some back to the pasture and back to winter pasture. And some of them were going off to the slaughterhouse. Okay, so some of them were headed off to become dinner for us, and uh, they were going to divide them. Now, all the cattle came in through that wide gate. But here's the thing. Have you ever moved cattle? They are stubborn little animals. They don't realize it. And when you're trying to get them to go into this narrow gate and come down the chute and go get in the trailer, I wanted to yell at them the whole time. Come on, you'll live. If you go down the chute, you will live. This gate provides life for you. Get in there. But they couldn't understand. They didn't know. But that little chute, that little gate, that narrow gate provided life. And so we watch those kinds of things and we have to pay attention to that gate. What is God calling us towards this narrow gate that he wants us to move towards? What is that narrow gate? His name is Jesus. Throughout scripture, he called himself the gate. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through the gate, Jesus, through him. See, Jesus explains to us there is but one way to this eternal life that we are seeking or that we, this life that we desire, and that is only through Jesus Christ. The wide gate, it's easy. The wide gate takes no decision. You don't even have to think about it, and you'll be on, in through the wide gate. In fact, no decision is a decision. It's, it is a purpose. It's a direction. And we'll end up there without any conscious direction do you find yourself today on that wide path well the wide path is exactly where the enemy wants you and wants to keep you he has one mission also and his mission is to kill kill steal and destroy you his desire is to to keep you from from knowing christ and he's cunning and he's crafty in that and he'll do all kinds of different things things that you don't even expect but this text serves as a bit of a warning to us one of the things that our family has enjoyed doing this summer has been spending time on the water on the, on the river. And we've been out a number of times and we've floated different areas of the river. And a week ago, we had some, some company that came out from Denver to spend some time with us. And we took them on a float between the Redlands boat ramp and we went up to the Loma boat ramp. And if you floated that stretch of river, you know that there's a sign halfway between Redlands and Fruta. And there's a sign there because the river splits into two different directions. And the sign looks a lot like this. This isn't the exact sign that you'll see this year. But the sign looks like this. There it is. It says, danger ahead. Stay river right. And you look at it and where the river splits, you wonder, well, why in the world can't I go left? 
It looks good. Looks like a fine path to take. But people who've gone through there already know that there's danger on that side, especially when the water was higher. All the strainers and the different things that you could get caught in on that side. Stay river right. It serves as a warning. Sometimes we see a warning and we just want to close our eyes to it and go, I just didn't see that. I don't know. Other times it's like, well, try me. All right, I'll try left because you said not to go left. I'm going that way. Will you heed the warning of scripture today? Will you listen? Because we wrestle with things like this in life and we're looking for what path to take. Will you listen to the word of God today? Not Brian's word, but the word of God. We're looking for answers. We're looking for that abundant life and eternal life. The wide road is deceiving because it does promise life, at least temporarily. And I won't deny to you that sometimes on the wide road, it feels like you're receiving life. It seems like it's giving me something. But it can't deliver abundant life, Zoe life. It can't deliver eternal life on that road. Well, how do I know, though, if I'm not heeding the warning, if I'm just being deceived by the enemy here? Well, the text gives us a clue as Jesus goes on in in verse 15. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, false prophets. In Jesus' day, there were real prophets. Men who who followed the Lord. They had a relationship with the Lord. And what they said would line up with the Lord. And God used them to help people find and to know God. But false prophets have always existed. They claim to have a relationship with the Lord. But their teaching and their life don't match up with the Lord. And so, Scripture has had many warnings for that. False prophets were common, a common warning in the New Testament. Their teaching would be very easy to accept and easy to hear. But it didn't enable for them to pass as true disciples. And their efforts would be destructive. So that's why in 2 Peter chapter 2, there is a warning, for example. It says this, But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. In other words, pay attention because today there will be the same. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the path of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these false teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. You see, there is a warning throughout scripture about these false prophets. And they would use the right language. They were self-deceived. And they would use the right language. See, the Pharisees and and the scribes, they were like this. They They had themselves fooled into thinking and believing that they were righteous and everybody else was sinful. And what they would do is they would teach things even sounding right... But yet they were off. There was something wrong in their teaching. Sometimes even a false prophet who at the core of it can say all the right things. And as you look on in the text in Matthew chapter 7, they might even say all the right things, be in all the right places. But yet at the same time, they've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. That transaction of of justification has never happened in their life. False teachers teach false pathways. 
And they're still around us today. People who teach a false gospel that would direct us off in a health and wealth direction or, or take on an authority that isn't theirs. You see, they're self-deceived. And at the core of it, they are people that are fakers or posers. They're not the real thing. And we might look at them and go, oh, look at all of that and get our attention completely fixated on them. But the warning in scripture is be aware of that. But God isn't calling us to get our eyes completely fixated on them. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's where your attention needs to be. Spend your time looking at Jesus. Put your attention there. You'll know then. And so God calls us to that. But the truth is about them being fakers and posers. We also have to evaluate that in ourselves. You see, we could even be a false teacher or a hypocrite by being a person who's a poser. We can be sitting in the pews week after week and deceived and not really be right with the Lord. See, the enemy has a way of tricking us, of lying to us, and holding us there. There's a couple of lies that I think we would have to confront that the enemy wants us to believe or that are just there because evil exists in our world. And what are some of those lies? One of them would be this, that the narrow path doesn't actually lead to life. Do you ever doubt that or wonder, well, is it, can I really trust that God has my best? Can I really trust him? Do I really believe that it leads to life in eternal life? Interconnected with it might be the the next thing is that I'm missing out. This feeling of I maybe I'm missing out on what's going on in the world. Others seem to be having all kinds of fun, but I'm not finding life. I don't know what what to do here. There's a disorder called FOMO. Do you know what it is? F O M O. Fear of missing out, and it's a real disorder. Oxford Dictionary added it to the dictionary in 2013. It's this, a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. This social anxiety is characterized by a desire to stay continually connected with what others are doing. And social media also plays into this for us. We have this anxiety that literally can emerge. What if I'm missing out? In God's church today, I'm afraid that that's a big issue for us. We're concerned we're missing out. What if I'm not getting what they're getting? What if they're having something and enjoying something that I don't get? Maybe they're finding life. A huge lie intertwined with that was simply this. I need to try everything once. If they're missing out, maybe I should just try everything once. And God wants to break that bond, those lies from our mind. Trusting God, trusting that he is good, trusting that obedience to him is the very best. Will you trust that? Another lie that we have to confront would be this. I can be on two paths at the same time. That I can have a foot on both of those paths. Well, you have to be on either one or the other. God calls us to abandon the wide path altogether not trying to bring parts of, of the old life, of the wide path with me onto the narrow path. He calls us to abandon all that and come follow him. One of the great ways we could ask ourselves a question that would help us see where we're at with that is asking ourselves this. Did my profession of faith in Christ cost me anything? 
When you followed Christ, did it cost you anything? Can you identify what you've left behind in order to follow Christ, to abandon that in order to follow Christ? We can't walk two different paths going in two different directions very long before destruction happens. It's one path. But that can be fixed today. Any of those lies can be changed today. So how do I know what path I'm on? Does it have to do with the fact that I have the baptism certificate that I got once? Does it have to do with the fact of, oh, I prayed a prayer once in a church. Oh, I've been to church every week for the last 50 years. Does it have to do with the fact of, I have really sound doctrine. Those things may play into some of this, but it's not what Jesus points out. Jesus points out how we would know what path we're on. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus points us to the fruit of our life. We will know by the fruit that we bear. He points to what we're producing in life. And he causes us to wrestle with an uncomfortable thing here. The evidence in our, does the evidence in our lives line up with Christ? In other words, is the claim of knowing the grace of Christ leading to transformation in Christ? Deeds don't save. Scripture is clear on that. We're saved by grace through faith. But Scripture is also very clear that the evidence of faith is a transformed life. That's why James would say faith without works is dead. And so verse 16, coming back to that again, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. These verses show that true faith changes a person's life and it produces good fruit for the glory of God. If you look in nature, even at the plants that are around our church here, every plant reproduces its like kind. The same kind. The same is true in the spiritual world. Good fruit is produced from good trees. Bad fruit from bad trees. It's true in our lives. What kind of fruit are we talking about here? Well, there's fake fruit, fake spiritual fruit that could come on. A fake fruit could happen uh, easily. We're like a, a leaf that spray paints ourselves green to look like we have life. Gets a little hook and hooks on to the bush outside. Oh, I must be alive. But that's fake fruit. It's not coming from a source of life. Well, the picture in John 15 flushes this out a bit when Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. In John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that who bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can bear nothing. You can do nothing. So it may fool some for now to try to fake fruit in our lives. But in the end, it's still fake. What Jesus is concerned about is that we abide in him. Our relationship with him is where we're drawing life from. That we actually are tapped into him, grafted into him, and begin to draw life. And that's where the green comes from in our life. So we have to ask our question of this. Did my decision for Christ change my life at all? What types of fruit would be produced if it is changing my life? Well, we'd see a Christ-likeness begin to emerge. 
the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's described all throughout this sermon that Jesus has, has just preached. This life in Christ that would be where the heart of stone is now a heart of flesh. And it produces fruit by the power of the Spirit in us. And so Jesus talked about some of these things. Anger, not just cutting off the tongue, but dealing with anger at the heart issue. Honesty and purity and love for my enemies. God's priorities and money. Seeking after Christ in prayer and serving others and investing in the kingdom. Next week, we're going to dive into a series in the book of Philippians. The whole book is about the inner change, the inner man changed by life in Christ. And it unfolds that. It, it helps us see what that fruit is like. It's not just a behavior change, but a heart change that affects then the behavior. See, it's the very heart of Jesus being fleshed out in us. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Real fruit, though, isn't grown just overnight in our lives. It was early spring when most of the orchard uh, folks around here started working and they started tending to their plants and getting irrigation going, their trees, and getting irrigation going and working on their orchards. It's now months later before we're seeing the fruit of their labors. It's true in our lives that spiritual fruit is born over time of abiding with Christ as he develops that in us and he changes us. In the spring, or actually early summer, we went to the store and we purchased some peaches and they were fake. <laughs> they were some of those peaches that came from somewhere else. They weren't the real thing, right? You have to wait for the real thing to emerge. God desires to do his work in us and to give you life along the narrow path. And the proof of that is in the fruit of our lives. So let me talk about journey groups again for just a moment here. Journey groups are a place where a group of disciples journeys together, walks together in order to see that abiding in Christ and fruit then being born out of that. So journey group leaders, you are like a shepherd guiding people along in that path of discipleship, helping them abide in Christ, helping a group move together because disciples are made in that relational context. That's how Jesus did it. And so that's what you do. But I want to remind you, journey group leaders, that no journey group leader ever feels completely equipped and adequate for the task in front of them. Because it's hard. You will have people who are more spiritually mature than you in the group. And that's actually a good thing. Let those people help you. But we also have to get past something that I believe is a, a discipleship heresy. And that's this, is that we would, that as if in our walk with the Lord, there's a certain point where we're ready to disciple. If you look at Jesus' pattern with people, he had, as soon as people came to know Christ as Savior, as soon as they followed him, they went out and they were sharing now the good news that they had received. They were sharers. They turned that right back around. When Jesus was talking to the demon-possessed man in Mark 5, Jesus says, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus expects disciples to go out and share. That's your job as a journey group leader, but it's also your job to help people in your journey group to do that also. That's part of that equipping that, that, we're, putting, that, that we're working towards together. And so journey groups help us as a church 
walk that narrow road together with other people who we're arm in arm with, you are not alone. Even if you feel alone, I remind you, the Lord is with you always to the end of the age. But he's given us the church to come together to walk that journey together. But back to ourselves. If we were to take a good, honest look at our lives today, does the fruit of your life line up with Christ? I'm not talking about perfection here, but do you see him at work in you? Spiritual fruit serves as a bit of a gauge on the instrument panel of our life. And if you were to read that gauge, what do you see? What roads are you on? What direction are you headed? See, profession of faith is easy. And even Christian behavior can be counterfeited. We can fake it. But what a man really is will inevitably show by the way he lives over time. A radical new kind of person who doesn't hide behind the label called Christian or just fake some sort of ethical code. And so Jesus is bringing us in this passage to a place of decision. Jesus isn't just wanting to give a story and entertain us here. He's bringing us to a place of decision. He's not just simply giving us a nice moral code here. He's bringing us to a decision. Many of you are on that narrow path. You've entered through that narrow gate through Jesus Christ. You placed your trust in him. He's reconciled you with God. And I want to remind you that you need the people around you. You need the presence of God in you and you need the people around you that God equipped the church to work that way. And it's hard. And I know it's hard sometimes. And I know sometimes you look up and it's like, where is everybody else? I'm on this road that seems to be a lonely road. And that's how it is sometimes. But don't let that surprise you. So we walk together on that, keeping our eyes together on Jesus Christ. Live this life, follower of Jesus, on the narrow path. Live this life for what is to come and not for just what you can get here and now. Keep your eyes focused on what is to come, that eternal Zoe life. So as a follower of Christ, this world is supposed to be about as bad as it gets for you. And then it gets better. If you're on the other path, you could have been in church every week for the past 50 years and you find yourself on that wide path. You could just today have heard this for the very first time and you go, wow, I didn't realize. I've never thought about my life in this way. This rattles everything I've ever considered about life. There's a warning that has been placed out in front of you. And that warning is placed there by Jesus Christ as a warning to remember that if you don't come on the path where Jesus is, if you don't listen to and respond to his call, destruction is ahead. There is destruction ahead. Along the way, you might be looking for life. You're trying to find tastes of it. Maybe you found a few things that you're like, that brings me life. But you're never going to find really what you're looking for on that wide road. The next adventure, the next person, the next purchase, those things are not going to do it for you. But you're not also alone in that road. There are many people on that path. And God gave opportunity. He gives opportunity for us to hear the warning. 
In Isaiah chapter 45, God turns his focus to the nations that are surrounding Israel. And he gives a warning and a call. And he says this to them, Turn to me and be saved, all you the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. See, by the grace of God, you can become a person walking on the narrow path. The gate is narrow though, and it's through Jesus only. Jesus who gave his life up for you to pay the penalty for your sins. Will you trust him? Will you place your faith in him and begin to follow him? Will you count the cost and come follow Jesus on his path? Would you bow your heads with me? I wonder if anybody in this room, if Jesus is calling you from the wide path to the narrow path today. You look up and today you realize after hearing this, that you're walking on a path that is going to lead to destruction in the end. God has a gentle, still, small whisper, a call. Come follow me. If God is calling you this morning, today you can make that right and turn on to the narrow path. In this moment, to come through that gate called Jesus, our sin is what separates us from God. Jesus died that we could have life by coming through him, by trusting him, his death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And if that's you today, right here, right where you're seated, you might be tempted to run out of here and not deal with this. But don't run away from God. Don't disobey in this moment if he's calling you, if he's saying, come to me. Place your faith in him and start this new journey with Jesus Christ. And so if you're there, Jesus loves you and he's ready to receive you on his path. Would you just, right where you're seated in your own heart, confess your sin to him. Admit to him that you are a sinner and that that separated you from God. Continue on and, and embrace the love he's expressed to us through the cross and say, you know that that cross forgives you for your sins. And ask him as you proceed forward with him to help you walk this new path, to leave behind completely the old path and come on to this new path of following Jesus. And God has good things ahead of you, ahead for you in store in the days to come. As you walk with him. Others you might be sitting there. And you know that you have been in a place where. You're believing some of the lies. Or you're feeling alone. I don't know what God might have spoken to you. Even in the last couple of minutes. We're just going to be quiet. And I want to allow you a chance to be with the Lord. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to. Confess sin to him. And come back on a narrow path. And just. Admit your struggle on the narrow path. Lord Jesus, by your power, do your work in us. Lord, if anybody has prayed to trust you for the first time today, I pray that you would cement them and root them so firmly in you that their life would begin to grow and flourish and they would, they would find that abundant life in Christ. That they would be able to sit in your grace knowing that their sins are forgiven. 
And Jesus, I pray that today would be the start of this new journey as they've repented of their old life and come now to you to receive forgiveness. Guide them and walk them in that process. Bring people around them that would support them and help them in this. And God, for our church, may we be a people refined by you. May we be a people with our eyes focused on you, Jesus, looking for the end goal, looking for eternal life in you, Jesus. And we pray this all in the precious name of of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me today as we conclude? If God's done some work in you and you'd like to pray with one of our elders, come on up front this morning and we'd love to just spend some time praying with you. If you're wondering how to get started in this path of walking with Jesus, we'll help you in that also. Our benediction comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. I'm going to steal a phrase as you go out of here. You are not dismissed. You are sent.